Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey everybody, my name is David Boris. And I'm Frankie C. And this is Everybody Everybody Sucks. Sucks. The podcast where we explore the struggles and triumphs of the journey from amateur to professional. People think that artists are born great at what they do, but the truth is, in the beginning, everybody everybody sucks. Today we are here with Tyson Leslie. Hi. Tyson. What's up? Yes. Thanks for doing this. It's good to have you. Yeah, it's good to be here. He is a multi-instrumentalist based here out of Nashville, Tennessee, and has been playing professionally in clubs and venues all over the U.S. and globally since 1988. Upon first moving to Nashville, Tyson landed the keyboard spot for 90s country superstar Tracy Lawrence. He has since played keys for the late 80s sensation Bixen and has been touring the world with them since 2017. (sighs) Okay. And keep going. Ty- <laughs> <laughs> it's a long bio, man. No, I'm just kidding. I shortened uh, it. <laughs> good. Tyson has performed on the Kid Rock Cruise, the Kiss Cruise, the Megadeth Cruise, Monsters of Rock, Shiprocked, and the Rob Gronkowski Cruise, among I, I others. I have the same problem. I can't say that. <laughs> it's either. a hard name to say. <laughs> he has worked alongside members of Taylor Swift's band, Beyonce's band, Kelly Clarkson's band, Florida Georgia Line, and a giant laundry list of other musicians. A jack-of-all musical trades, Tyson has released his own music, recorded for and produced other artists, worked as a tour manager, right? Yeah. Yeah. And on top of all of that, he is the creator of Rare Hair, one of Nashville's biggest and most successful musician gatherings, attracting musicians from across the world who fly in just to perform. That was a really good bio. Yeah. Thanks. Well crafted. It's always weird to write about yourself. It was like eight pages long. That was like such a an abridged version of all the things that you've done. (laughs) I don't know how we're gonna fit all the stories in to the podcast today. I know, like listening to it gets me really pumped, but I don't like. Yeah, it's like gonna be a two parter or something (laughs) like that because it feels like there's just so much stuff to talk about. I'm gonna let the sort of unfold naturally. We've predominantly had a lot of songwriters and country writers so far. Yeah. So, like, we've been really anticipating this one just to get someone from the rock side. Yes. All right. Tell us about, like, your early music influences. As a kid, I would actually come home every day. This is not even exaggerating, and it's kind of weird, but I would finish my homework, and I would watch the entire Amadeus movie every day. Oh, my God. Because I was so obsessed with wanting to be, like, Mozart when I was a kid. And then I grew up in the 80s. So everything that was on the radio was Michael Jackson and Prince and Madonna and stuff like that. Playing piano for blue hair old ladies at churches wasn't as cool as 
bands like Motley Crue or Twisted Sister or Quiet Rider, <laughs> some of these bands that you would see on, you know, on TV back when they played videos on MTV and stuff like that. I won a talent contest in Greeley, Colorado, where I grew up playing classical music, playing Mozart, actually, and some other stuff. I took that $100 winnings and bought my first guitar and then taught myself how to play guitar just kind of by ear off of that. You learned keys first. And yeah, then... so I started off on piano just because I would sit at home and practicing is boring. So I'm like playing Molly Crew songs and Cinderella songs and doing all these songs just to kill the time because my mom said, you got to practice for an hour every day. And it's like, man, I'd rather be playing Atari or doing, you know, playing outside or doing something else. But it certainly obviously paid off. Looking back, that was a very rewarding thing to have had instilled in me because it allows me to do what I do now. Were your parents uh, quite musical? Not at all. <laughs> so how did they like decide that you would go into piano? Like, How does that come about? So my dad had this little, it was like a toy organ. I don't even know why he had it because, like I said, he didn't play anything. And I was kind of picking around playing like Mary Had a little, little Lamb and stuff like that. My mom claims that I started playing when I was three, picking out melodies wow. and things like that. And so because of that, there was a lady down the street about four houses down that was a teacher and was a piano teacher. So I just started taking lessons from her. And then eventually in 88, we moved to Kansas City. And that's when I started taking like more serious lessons and going to the conservatory there and, and taking lessons from this guy who smelled really bad. <laughs> <laughs> and but taught me a lot of cool stuff, you know. And uh, then at that point, I started playing in bands and, and playing in clubs and stuff like that. Too. Started him young. Not even being able to like go in until right before you go on stage because you're not old enough to be in there. Like you got five minutes, you can go in, you can set up, and get tuned up and ready to go. And as soon as you're done with your show, you need to leave. And so, and we'd be opening up for all these bands I wanted to see and stuff. And I didn't get to see them, so I'd sit outside, be a sad panda listening to the band that you know outside mm -hmm. because I couldn't be inside. Do you think you had a natural affinity for it? compared to your peers? Was it just something that you kind of like innately understood while you first started playing? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's all I've ever done and wanted to do really as far back as I can remember. I'm interested because did you see or hear music in a way that you conceptualized it, that it just made sense to you? Like, was it just like, of course, the next note's here, or of course, this is where my hands go? Not so much. That stuff came later. As you become a little bit more of a seasoned player and understand how everything works in terms of predicting chord changes or predicting those kinds of things, as a student, at least initially, all you're doing is you're just trying to master the motor skills of, okay, eyes to paper, looking at the black dots and what they mean and trying to translate that from the page to your hands. Playing classical music, literally, you're just transcribing musically what you see on a page. There's definitely no creativity in that at all. You're dictating what's being fed to you visually, whereas what we do night after night now you know, Frankie and I play in a band together. We're going to go do that tonight. tonight. And a lot of that is way more about working with other folks, paying attention to the room, paying attention to the other players. And I am very strange in Nashville in the regard that when I'm running a set, I'll just start songs and I'm not telling anybody what we're starting. And then hopefully, he does do that. <laughs> and hopefully they, they know what it is and they can hang for the ride. So that kind of stuff is definitely where that kind of awareness and stuff that you were talking about, that yeah. comes in handy. I imagine that 10 plus years of piano bar gigs would hammer those repetitive chord progressions and like changes into your head too, to where yeah. you can predict. 
Yeah. So like any song. A lot of times people go, "Hey, how many songs do you think you know?" I'm like, "I don't. I know thousands of songs." And you can somehow just pull them out of your ass, though. <laughs> All you gotta do is pull up the lyric sheet, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I know this yeah, yeah. whole song." Right. Pure instinct. It reminds me of stories of Chuck Berry. Bruce Springsteen used to, they backed up for Chuck Berry one time and he tells a story about how Chuck Berry shows up on stage like 10 minutes before like the show starts, right? And Chuck Berry plugs in and he just like kicks into the first riff of the first song. And Bruce Springsteen talks about how his bass is just had to like run up there and like figure out the key and quickly run back because he was the only one who knew Chuck Berry's catalog. And he just yelled to the band like, blah, 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 and B. And then the whole band had to sort of pick up <laughs> yeah. and flow with it. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much, Tyson won't even tell you the key he'll just go that's true <laughs> he'll just go <laughs> just hold on i love it you know it keeps all of us on our toes and yeah to be honest we haven't had a bassist and so tyson currently is up there playing keys and bass simultaneously which wow. is mind-blowing the level of coordination that you're using to do that <laughs> okay well let's listen to your song this you said this was kind of from when you were in high school around that age yeah so i uh I met a guy in my computer science class. He had an Ibanez guitar catalog. And I was like, well, that's intriguing. And he looks and he's a long hair guy, you know, and feathered 80s hair and the whole thing. And I was like, so I got to know this guy. And he went by Steve back then. He's a Russian kid. He's Slavic now, but uh, he was Steve back then. Slavic Steve. Yeah. And we uh, started to form our first band. We didn't really know what we were doing. And we had these guys that claimed to be this talent agency and they had a recording studio. But back then, we didn't know. We were like, oh, cool, studio. All right, cool. Go in the studio and cut this song. And I wrote this song with this guy, Zach. And we didn't have a singer, so we got this guy, Jason, to come and sing. And he, you know... He looked cool. He was a terrible singer. And oh, Jason no. will tell you, too. He'll be like, yeah, I, I was really bad. And you'll hear it in the song. He's a terrible singer. <laughs> Just Sorry, <really> Jason. <laughs> and, um, and so, Everybody sucks, Jason. Yeah. So it's like me and my buddy Chuck. And I don't even remember who played bass on this thing, if anybody. We may not. I don't remember. I mean, that was a million years ago. And it was the first thing I'd ever recorded, like, quote unquote professionally which it's not whatsoever and uh, the guitars are shrill and it's just absolutely awful so enjoy oh man I can't wait to hear it <laughs> I'm pumped embrace the suck this is the other side <laughs> I did not see that coming at all look how bad those drums those are those drums are in the tiniest <laughs> compressed box oh wow I see why you put studio in air quotes when you said it. It's like they took the effects pedal and just plugged straight in. This sound quality should be illegal. <laughs> Here goes the great vocals. Oh, Jason. <laughs> and Zach doing the little harmony there. I thought Dave started singing along. <laughs> it was so far panned. <laughs> this has like a freaking 1980s punk vibe going though, you know? Like, this sounds like the Vancouver punk scene of the 80s where it's like shitty recordings and you're just going hard. I actually love that stuff, you know, Minor Threat and DOA and stuff like that, man. Yeah, like, big time. Okay, what are you playing on this? So I'm playing the rhythm guitar on this one. Okay. And then there's Steve doing all these notes right Slavic now. Steve is yeah, Slavic shredding. Steve is shredding. Okay. He's the shredder. So were you not like comfortable as a lead person yet? Not playing next to him. Steve and I actually ended up forming a real band for a little while called Alienation with a different lineup of people. 
that actually became okay. We would trade off leads. He was way more of a flashier player than I was. I was more of a lot of player, doing a lot of like Brian May harmony type of stuff, which I still do because I love that kind of stuff. When you were talking to me earlier about picking a song for this, you were saying like, oh man, there's so many. Yeah. It's like hard to dig through all the recordings. I mean, I've got stuff from the Alienation Band where we had recorded directly in like a boombox kind of stuff just to get our ideas and remember how they... Oh yeah, I forgot. I totally forgot about this like little Van Halen eruption thing that happens in the middle of the song for no reason <laughs> whatsoever. Let's talk about <laughs> I mean, how in the world you go from playing that to moving to Nashville and playing with the 90s country group. <laughs> well, um, at that point, I was playing at Howl at the Moon. It's a dueling piano corporate company based out of Chicago. They have tons of locations all over the United States. And I hated it because all the people that I signed up to play with and work with are all gone. All of a sudden, I was playing with people that barely even knew what like a C major 7 chord is. And I was in a 90s cover band years prior to that. And a guy named Rich Redmond came in. He was a friend of our drummers. And Rich sat in with my band. And I'm like, oh, country guy, I'll give you friends in low places, the most boring song to play on the drums. I'm like, what? <laughs> but um, he called me out of the blue in February, and I was just burned out. I didn't know what to do. I felt like I hit the ceiling in that town. There wasn't anywhere to go. And he talked me into moving here. He basically was like, the magic words is you got to be present to win. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like if you want to take a lunch or you want to do a studio session or you want to do an audition or anything like that, you can't be like, oh, well, let me look at my flight schedule and try to get a flight out. Like, no, I'll see you in 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And you got to be able to do that. So what year did you move to Nashville? We moved in July of 2015. And I was jumping on a bus with Tracy in September. It was crazy. It went super fast. So when I first moved here, one of the first things I did was I went to lunch with somebody every day for about a month. Just bought them lunch. It was expensive for me, but it gave me an opportunity to get to know some of these people that are doing what I would always wanted to do. And that was a result from a guy named Tom Hurst. He did this jam called Loud Jams. It was a mixer for a bunch of different musicians. And he'd just pick a bunch of random songs, basically his iPod on shuffle, and we'd play these songs. And it started off at this little place called Douglas Corner. Oh, R.I.P. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My old band Pomeroy did a, a reunion show in Kansas City, and Rich was playing at that football stadium that Saturday. And I was like, man, I'd love to see a, a stadium show from a backstage perspective. I'd never done that. Wink, wink. And he's like, bro, it's too crazy. I'm not going to be able to see you. Like, the traffic's terrible. It's just like, I'll see you at Douglas Corner on Monday when you get back to Nashville. I'm like, well, wait, what's going on in Douglas Corner? Like, this is jam. Everybody's going to be there. Everybody, you know, all the folks that you've been wanting to meet come show up and, and be there. I'm like, Shit, I've been gone for like a week and my wife hadn't seen me. Like, is there any other time to do this or anything? And basically, he's like, bro, if you want to do what you say you want to do, all the things you want to do, I'll see you Monday at Douglas Corner, 8 o'clock sharp, be there. I was like, okay, fine. So I, I showed up. I walk in, and I don't know anybody. And they're playing all these weird, obscure 80s songs. And then the guitar player kicks into a song by a band called Big Wreck. And I was like, Oh, Whoa. yeah, they're amazing. I'm like, who the hell's playing this? Like, nobody plays this. So I kind of bolt up to the front. 
And for the rest of the show, I'm just like completely enamored with all the players, not knowing that that's Taylor Swift's drummer and that's Florida Georgia Lions bass player, whatever. All these people that play for everybody were there. And so that's how I got to know so many of those sidemen really, really fast in this town. I think what's really interesting is that based on what you're telling me, like there's kind of this undercurrent of rock and roll musicians yes. in Nashville who are then end up playing for country bands. Yes, but very much so. all of their roots like sit in this rock phase of yeah. music in America and stuff like that. I mean, Taylor Swift's bass player, Amos Heller, plays Metallica better than anybody else that I know. He's extraordinarily good at capturing the essence of what Cliff Burton was back in the day. Yeah, all these guys are rock people, which is why Rare Hair works. For the listeners who might not know or be familiar with Rare Hair, tell them how it works. We usually get between 100 and 150 musicians to come in, and I pick about 25 songs. Sometimes there's a theme to the show. Sometimes it's just random, and each song has a different lineup of people. And it's called Rare Hair because it's a lot of obscure hair metal. So you will not hear Sweet Child of Mine. You will not hear Living on a Prayer. (laughs) Like if we're going to cover Guns N' Roses, we're going to cover something like Anything Goes or something that you'll never hear a band cover. It's like the list of songs I've never heard. And Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The other thing that's also fun is how in Nashville, a lot of these 80s guys moved here from L.A., um, so guys from Mr. Big and Winger and Cinderella and and Poison and all kinds of different bands live here now, you know, singer from Motley Crue and Dave Mustaine from Megadeth lives here. All these people live here. And so I've fortunately got to know a lot of them because of my other job with Vixen and touring with some of these people. So they'll come out and play sometimes and it's pretty neat experience to have that's incredible you know the guy that plays on broadway every single night and the guy who plays for some country you know superstar and then the guy who actually played the winger song on the record you know and get those guys together and it's really fun for them to be able to like work with these musical heroes of planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Is there a flexibility or a certain versatility in playing rock music that allows these players to translate to Nashville, which is so historically country-centric. Like you said, you have these people playing in like major A-list country acts who have their roots in rock and roll. Like, is there something about the genre? Um, well, I know like guys like Billy Sheehan, and when I talked to him about it, he said, well, I can work here. I can't work really in L.A. as much. The expense of staying in L.A. is a big factor of why a lot of guys moved here. But also, they can come here be songwriters, be uh, sync artists, touring and all that stuff as well. As far as rock versus country is the translation there, I mean, if you listen to most current country, it's just a rock band anyway with a fiddle player or a cheesy 
keyboard banjo because it's not even a real banjo it's like somebody programmed it on a synthesizer somewhere or whatever a guy named perry richardson was the first example that i can think of he was originally in a band called firehouse when i first moved here he's playing country with craig morgan and he had had that gig for years and they let him kind of keep his hair and his look and stuff like that and stay the same way that he was and he loved it he just was happy to be gigging and i think that's the scenario for a lot of these guys is they just are happy to have work and Mm -hmm. still be able to do what they love to do for a living what's it like touring i was trying to like find a fancy way to ask that but like (laughs) for people who don't do it like what what's touring like (laughs) it's awesome and it's also uh, really exhausting and there's definitely times where it can be really lonely i'm in a band called vixen i'm the only male in an all-female band but he's got long hair so they like to he blends right they like to go off and do their own thing a lot so i'm like wandering europe by myself when we played europe it was three of the original members who are all older and been there done that so they never went out to do anything they'd be in bed by like eight o'clock nine o'clock like a bunch of old ladies (laughs) so i'm like i'm I'm in freaking europe i'm gonna go wander and when am i gonna be back here again so i take advantage of that as much as i can i love seeing the world and seeing other parts of the united states i don't really love checking in a hotel at 1.30 in the morning and not having rooms available to you because, oh, oh yeah. we forgot Jeez. to book your rooms or those kinds of scenarios. Or, okay, sorry, guys, we got a 3.30 a.m. lobby call. We got to be there, and then we got to drive an hour to the airport, get to the airport, wait another hour and a half, get on the plane, go to the next layover where you sit there for three more hours before you can get on the next plane. Literally last week or a week before, we had a 24-hour travel day where we had started at three in the morning and we didn't get to where we were supposed to go until about 2.30 the next day. That sounds rough. Only to play for... 45 minutes. That's so crazy. That part's interesting. <laughs> you mentioned sometimes it's lonely. And before we came on air, you were talking about how you have four kids yeah. and, and a partner. What's it like being on the road and gigging all the time? The kids get used to dad's going to work. So dad's going to be gone for an indefinite amount of time, whether it be you know, just tonight, I'll see you in the morning, or okay, I'll see you in two weeks. That just becomes what it is. I just did a run where I was on a cruise Got off the cruise and went straight to the airport and went to Singapore for two weeks. And I remember that second week in Singapore, I'm like, this is way too long. So that part sometimes can get really grating. If you could think of like any of the weirdest, craziest gig stories, good or bad, or like. Oof. <laughs> um, like, for example, so I do tour managing for Vixen. I'm the boots on the ground on Dave's show. So we have a guy that does the behind the scenes stuff beforehand. We've got a manager and then we've also got a travel agent that takes care of all our travel. But when it comes to day of show, I'm the guy that goes and settles out the money. I set up the merch, tear down the merch and do all that stuff. I saw a post the other day of a band. They were so excited to be playing the Whiskey A Go-Go in LA. I'm like, I fucking hate that place. I absolutely can't (laughs) stand it. And every time I played there, which has only been twice, they've been bad experiences. Vixen was doing a video shoot that day. Every single piece of equipment that I ordered, every single piece, 
everything was wrong in some way, shape, or form. The keyboard was a keyboard I'd never heard of before. The drum kit had two different size kick drums, and they were all like Frankenstein together. And I'm like, you're like one of the most sought-after venues in the country, and like, what? <laughs> so me and, and the guitar player's boyfriend at the time, we were just driving all over L.A., like going to guitar centers and going to music stores and going to friends' houses and borrowing up as much equipment so we can get the show done oh, and brutal. shoot this video. It was so stressful, and everybody's pissed off at me. So when you're trying to do, be in charge of all of this stuff and it all falls on you, and but at the same time, here's the email I sent the guy, here's the other email I sent the guy, and here's none of the responses to any of this stuff. Like I think that's like painting a really realistic picture of what that grind is like. Yeah. You know? I think that people can like romanticize it easily, but it's hard. Tyson, if you had any band you could play with, what would that band be, brother? Unfortunately, I can't do that now, but I'd always wanted to be any part of Prince's band in some way, shape, or form. Oh, that's that's cool. my guy. Yeah. You know, watching his shows, watching live shows. I learned a lot about how to run a show, vocal cues and visual cues and things like that that you give the band. I think one of the hardest things as a musician and one of the most challenging things as a singer, probably the most challenging thing, honestly, is being a good front person and knowing what to say between songs, not the music. Mm -hmm. The music part's easy. How do you keep engaged with an audience and keep your audience into what you're doing? I was running a cover band, a 90s band, and both of my singers were great singers, but they were really boring as front people. So I just took it on myself. So I would study Prince live records and listen to all these other live records by artists that I felt were really good at engaging with the crowd. I would not even listen to the songs. I would just hone in on everything they were doing between songs. What's he saying? How's he saying it? And there's a band called Cowboy Mouth from uh, Louisiana that are one of the best at that. And I would listen over and over to his records. He's the drummer and he's still the front guy. Hmm. He would take five people or 5,000 people. He would have them all just completely eating out of their hand. And I'd seen him several times. It's like going to school every time. That's the thing. Prince was a great influence for that kind of stuff. I'm like speaking for me, but I feel like a lot of artists would find that really useful. Yeah. Just, you know, listening to live albums and like what yeah. they're doing in between. The Dead Space to me is always the first sign of a greener lead person, whoever, whomever's in charge of the act, who's ever supposed to be running the stage. Right. Yeah. You know, Frankie and I's band, I know, I we're not like in charge. About me. We're, we're, but we're not in charge. Our drummer's in oh. charge. Audience <laughs> perspective will automatically assume it's the singer. No matter Unfortunately. Who it is. Unfortunately, that's true. Okay. If you could give yourself three pieces of advice when you were first starting out, what would they be? Be patient is number one, because I didn't get all of my breaks and doing the things that I'm doing at the level that I'm doing until I was 40 years old. 40, I, not 40. four. Yeah. <laughs> Number two is say yes to everything until mm -hmm. you can mm -hmm. say no, until you're at a position where you can start turning things down. There are so many times that if I had said no to something, I would have missed out on some really cool opportunities. And then the last thing I would say, it kind of goes along with the first thing I said, which is always be willing to kind of play the long game on stuff. If you can just chill out and know that eventually you're going to get there, it just may not happen right now. But just look ahead. It's on the horizon. And you just put yourself out there. If you don't ask, 
uh, people are like, how do you know so many people? How many, how'd you get this guy to play? I was because I asked him. Tell us about this last song we're going to play and how it came to life. I wrote a song called Burning Time back in my alienation days. And I was going to originally rewrite that song. And then it completely took on a different everything. Essentially, I wrote this song for Vixen to try to pitch to them because they need new songs. And they turned down Burning Time because they thought it was too heavy. And I was talking to Roxy from Vixen about the song because she really liked the song. The rest of the band didn't. And so she's like, let's do something with it. Who could we get on it and whatever. And so Todd LaTorre from the band Queensryche came up and I was like, yeah, I think Todd would be awesome, actually. So I reached out to Todd, and he got back to me right away. He's like, yeah, let's do something. Let's do it. And so I set him the track, and literally it took him an entire year to get it done because he was so busy with Queensryche and stuff like that. But again, play the long game. Be patient about it. Like, And when he finally did deliver it, I was like, oh, my God, this is so much better than I envisioned what this is going to be. So from now on, I really want to do more of that type of collaborative writing and recording. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Tyson. Yeah, thanks for having it's me. Been yeah, this is awesome, great man. Having somebody with like a different background on the show, so we appreciate cool. that. Yeah, happy yeah, to be here. Absolutely. So cool. this is burning time. And for everybody out there in podcast land, I'm David Boris, and I'm Frankie C. And remember, everybody, everybody sucks. sucks. Time is an illusion. But the illusion is about to run out.